So I'm standing in line at Woods the other day, and I turned to the guy behind me, and I said, I'll buy your coffee if you'll answer a question. He's kind of shrugged like, yeah, whatever. I said, here's my question for you. What are you expecting this Christmas? What are you expecting this Christmas? He answered with one word. He said, pain. That was not what I expected to hear, right? I thought I would get joy, love, peace, happiness, something like that. But no, one word, pain. We sat down for a few minutes and he told me a little bit of his story. And that is exactly what he is expecting this Christmas season. But that's not what I was expecting him to say. Expectations play a huge part in Christmas. We have expectations of the perfect gift because we believe that we've left behind us a perfect set of clues that will allow the functional thinking human beings in my family to come to only one conclusion, and that's that I only want this perfect gift for Christmas this year. We have expectations about how our family should act at our perfect family gathering. We have expectations about the food and the presentation as we channel our inner Martha Stewart, right? And expect it all to be just perfect. We have expectations about peace, joy, and love until we try and get off the parking lot in Walmart, right? And that just disappears. We all have expectations at Christmas time. I put a short list in your, in your outline of the dangers of some of the Christmas expectations that I've seen over the past 20 or so years as a pastor. The first one is this, that people experience disappointment and frustration when they set their Christmas expectations too high. Those that set their expectations too high believe this is finally going to be the year when people are going to get it. This is going to be the year when my bonus is not going to come from the jam of the month club, right? This is going to be the year when Uncle Bruce is not going to come to the family gathering completely wasted out of his mind. This is going to be the year when my mother is not going to act like the mom from Everybody Loves Raymond. You know what I'm talking about, all right? This is going to be the year, finally, when my church is actually going to do Christmas the way I like it done. I'm not even going to touch that one, all right? You know, this is going to be the year. This year. It wasn't last year, but this is going to be the year when everything's going to be perfect and we have these lofty expectations, but more often than not, on December the 26th, we end up with kind of an emotional Christmas hangover because nothing went perfect. Set our expectations too high. Second response and the second caution is for this. It's people experience despair when they set their Christmas expectations too low. These are people who just like to keep the bar nice and low so that everybody has an opportunity to get over top of it. These are the people who go through Christmas living under the motto, he who expects little is never disappointed. These are the people that got no hope at all. And we know what happens when you have no hope. When you have no hope, what you get is despair. For those who try to aim low, Christmas is a painful time because there's no expectancy. There's no joy. And so what you end up happening, it, you just check out. You, you just click off. For about four weeks or so, you'll re-engage in January when everybody else is as depressed as you are, right? Now, let's be honest for a second. Most people don't fit into either extreme. Now, most of us are not way over here on the high expectation side, and most of us are not over here on the low expectation side. No, most of us just kind of like to shoot somewhere down the middle. Here's the third expectation response is that people experience the status quo when they set their Christmas expectations realistically. Now, just in case you thought, oh, that's awesome, man. I'm just shooting right down the middle. I don't think you're in a good place either. I think you're just as messed up as the people that go too high or go too low. 
Because here's what I know about the people that are in the middle. The people in the middle are just okay. You've learned how to cope with disappointments and the middle's become very safe for you. You're shooting for the middle because truthfully, you're not expecting anything at all to be different than last year. You have already come to the conclusion in your mind that Uncle Bruce probably is going to come drunk because he always comes drunk. You're thinking to yourself that your family probably will miss all of your perfect clues and you're going to end up with socks and underwear like every other year. You're thinking the Christmas ham probably will burn because it always seems to. You're looking for peace, joy, and love, but what you really think is going to happen is chaos, depression, and anger. Are you feeling my Christmas joy this morning? Like, have I just, like, just encouraged you? Aren't you so glad you came to church today, right? Well, now that I've completely bummed you out, I have a question for you. What if all we were expecting for Christmas was God? What if that was the sole expectation that we had? What if as a church family we were waiting in expectancy for one person and one person only, and that would be Jesus? Handel Brown once said these words, Christmas has lost its meaning because we've lost the spirit of expectancy. We cannot prepare for an observance. We must prepare for an experience and the experience is an encounter with the living God. If you look back through scripture, you'll notice that every person that had a face-to-face encounter with God was completely transformed from the inside out. What if that's what we were expecting this year? Let's take a look at at a a face-to-face Christmas encounter that a young lady by the name of Mary had. Now, I did not put it on the screens this week. We did that on purpose. I put it in your outline. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it and be able to look that. But maybe you just need to sit and listen to it. Because I know something about Christians who've been doing Christmas for a long time. You stopped getting it at some point. You heard the story so many times. You already know what happens to the shepherds. You got the wise men thing. You know, you're in, you're in on the inside joke. There was no little drummer boy. You get the whole deal, right? But somewhere along the line, you just flipped a switch and you honestly just don't care anymore. Maybe you just need to listen to the story like it was the first time you ever heard it. Luke chapter 1, the Bible says this. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, and he will be great will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Uh, How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. In that moment, Mary began to have expectations. She began to prepare inside of herself for the arrival of a baby. Behind me is is a scene that's not done. 
Over the next weeks, we're going to work together with an imaginary couple here, Christ the King, that's preparing for a baby to arrive. It looks like an empty room right now, but week after week, it's going to become a nursery. A nursery for a couple that's expecting a child to come and literally change their life. Preparations are going to begin. Expectations are going to be built. And we're going to be able to relate to them because Christ the King, if we truly know the God that we say that we know, we're expecting a baby too. But the baby's story does not end in the manger. The baby's story is going to grow and we're going to be able to celebrate with unbelievable expectancy, not just to observe, but to literally enter in to a different kind of Christmas. I listed in your outline some of the expectations that I'm sure Mary had for her unplanned pregnancy, because that's really what it was. One day, she's just minding her own business and then an angel shows up and suddenly, you're going to be pregnant. And the baby doesn't belong to Joseph the baby belongs to God. In that moment, there would have been some expectations. Expectation is, number one is this, that there was going to be distance between Joseph and her family. From the moment that she discovered that she was going to be pregnant, there was going to be distance and tension inside of her family unit. I mean, how could there not be? Joseph and Mary were betrothed to each other. Betrothal means so much more than what we call modern engagement. Modern engagement, you stick a ring on somebody's finger and then you just hope they don't walk out before you get to the altar. Because there's no actual commitment that's been made up until that moment. A betrothal was different. It was as serious as a marriage covenant and to be pregnant during betrothal brought a stigma with it that would stick with you for the rest of your life. Mary, for the rest of her life, being pregnant while she was betrothed, would walk around with a neon sign that said adulteress on it. Dirty. Second rate. Mary knew there was going to be tension. I mean, what did anyone expect Joseph to say when she shows up and says, I'm pregnant, and the angel says, it's God's. Oh, really? That's an interesting angle. Never heard that one before. Would you like to try another shot? Right? There would have been distance between Joseph and her family. Second expectation, there would have been despair over the reaction of people. Mary knew the words that, gets, that got attached to somebody who was pregnant at marriage. Mary knew that those words, those ugly words would be attached to her and her son. She knew the ugly labels that people were already thinking and all she needed to do was make it through nine months and then the words would become permanent. The third expectation, Mary was fully expecting divorce as a serious consequence. You see, Joseph had Jewish law on his side. He could have divorced her and crippled her socially for the rest of her life. He could have made her destitute because in that day, who in the world would want to marry somebody with that kind of baggage, that kind of past? Joseph would have been forced into some kind of a decision. I mean, who in the world would want this particular person? She's already somehow stained in the eyes of that culture. And he could have literally walked away and nobody would have thought twice about Joseph. He had legal Old Testament grounds for being able to do that. And they would have just said, well, that's exactly what you expect. And Mary would have been destitute. She probably would have had to beg to stay alive for the rest of her life. Divorce was a serious consequence. And finally, there was one more aspect that Mary was expecting. It was death as an imminent possibility. 
See, Joseph had another option available in his culture. He could have had her killed. They were betrothed together. A Jewish betrothal lasted 12 months. And in that 12 months, they entered into an official binding agreement that could only be broken legally by Old Testament divorce or in the case of unfaithfulness in death by stoning. Joseph had the legal right to take Mary to the center of the town, bring her in front of a religious council, have her judged and condemned because she was pregnant, and then those religious people would have picked up stones and thrown them at her until she bled to death. Some of you will look at those descriptors. Distance, despair, divorce and death. And you look at your own family and say, that pretty much describes what I think Christmas is going to be. Some of you are already thinking, you know, I'm already in despair because my in-laws are coming. I'm married to Scrooge. And because I'm married to Scrooge, I really only have two options. Either divorce him or kill him. Merry Christmas, right? (laughs) You know, sometimes we separate out the characters of the Bible and we take their humanity away from them. She was truly experiencing pain. Mary's got a lot going on in her world and yet there's still an undeniable fact that we can't overlook. You see, there's one more D, right? Pastors, we like lots of Ds and three points and all that kind of stuff. So we got one more D. We're going to add one more, right? Mary had one more expectation, and the expectation was this. It was the delivery of a healthy baby. That's what she was expecting. Just like any other mom, she was expecting to deliver a healthy baby. She was experiencing something inside of her. This baby was beginning to grow and form and take shape exactly the way God planned it. Well, I wanted you to be able to experience something like this this morning, so we're going to do something really cool, okay? Over here on the side in this back little area... There's a couple of ladies. I'd like to introduce them to you, okay? Sarah is the one laying on the table. Hi, Sarah. How are you? It's good. Sarah's an expectant mom from Christ the King. Standing beside her is a lady named Chris, and Chris is from the Whatcom County Pregnancy Center. She's a nurse who helps moms that are contemplating life actually have an opportunity to see the baby that's growing inside of them. You may not know this, 90% of women who see an ultrasound live will choose life. That's one of the reasons why we picked the pregnancy center. But what's going to happen is this. Chris is actually going to talk us through. Now, the baby last night was like an Olympic gymnast. I mean, 360s, flips. This morning at 8.30, baby was taking a nap. 10 o'clock, just barely waking up. So 11.30, we're hoping that baby's going to be like totally juiced like you guys are because you're the sleep-in service. Okay, so... Chris, why don't you talk us through... Now, you're going to look for a little computer cursor that she's going to move around... You can see it kind of moving around. Chris, can you tell us what we're looking at right now? Sure. So here we have, here's the head of the baby. You can see a little bit, the eye sockets there. Here is little hands going up to the face along the side here. Thinking about moving. (laughs) Come back, baby. There we go. (laughs) Awesome. Camera shy. (laughs) Um, Here's... You can kind of see the spine. Oh. <laughs> There's a little hand right up by the face. You can see little fingers if you look closely. This baby's got separated fingers and toes. Let's, let's see if we can find some feet down here. Oh, there we go. Oh, there's a little, little jump again. 
That's awesome. Chris, so is the baby fully developed at this particular time? Yes, all, all of its organs are in place, all body systems are there. It's just going to keep, keep on maturing and, and fine-tuning things for another six months, but, but everything's in place. Awesome. Is there any way you can find a heartbeat for us? It might be challenging because baby looks like she's doing a somersault right now, or he, whichever one, you don't know. <laughs> so right in here is where, the, if you look closely, some fluttering in this area. It is kind of a little right in there. There's the heart right there. Okay, awesome. There we go. That's great. Okay, can we go back and talk to Sarah for a second? So Sarah, how far along are you? Just about three months. So you're about three months? Okay. And is this your first child or do you actually have other children? I have one daughter already. You have one daughter? Awesome. Are you guys already making preparations and expectations for your baby? Yep. What kind of stuff are you doing? Setting up the room or getting our daughter's big girl room ready because she's still in her crib and just awesome. preparing to have two. <laughs> Absolutely. That's fantastic. Can we say thank you to Chris and for Sarah this morning for coming and joining us? <laughs> Thanks, you guys. <laughs> the same thing was happening inside of Mary. Same development, same miracle. Same joy, same expectation, same preparation. Mary was an expectant mother, just like Sarah was. She had the same dreams that everybody had. The dream of a mom is to deliver a healthy child, that that healthy child will grow up and literally change their world. Mary's baby was a little bit different, though. Mary's baby was not only fully human, just like the little one that we saw. You know, it's going to be cool. At some point, when that little baby's born, I'll bring him, I'll bring him or her up here. We'll introduce them to you. So you can say, we knew you before, all right? Mary's baby was not only fully human, but also fully God. Now let's talk about this for a second. A lot of people struggle with the whole pregnant virgin thing, right? Let's just be honest. You know, th those words, they don't just seem to go together. Pregnant virgin, it's kind of like they're putting the words jumbo shrimp together, right? They just don't work, you know, boneless ribs, right? A devote, or a devote, a devout atheist, Freezer burn, you know, don't go together. Girly man, doesn't go together, right? Okay? <laughs> Pregnant virgin, it just doesn't seem to go together. And I know a lot of Christians who kind of wink at this particular part of Scripture, and they just go, oh yeah, pregnant virgin. Yeah, pastor, gotcha. And they slide the virgin birth right over into the category where Santa Claus and the Grinch are. I got a question for those of you that would dismiss the miracle of the virgin birth. If that miracle goes out of your Bible, what other miracles have to go as well? You're going to do away with the miracle of creation? How about the miracle of God actually loving sinners? How about the miracle of, of God stepping out of the perfection of heaven and coming here at the very first Christmas? How about the miracle of salvation? Just so we're perfectly clear this Christmas season, so you know exactly where we stand. At Christ the King Community Church, we believe in the whole Bible and everything that it teaches. That means that this group of crazy people are down with pregnant virgins, dudes who walk on water, guys who live in fish for three days, a perfect man who was dead on Friday, but very much alive on Sunday morning, we also believe, we also believe in ultimate fighting Jesus who shows up at the end of Revelation 19 and comes back to deal ever so severely with people that diss God's miracles. That's where we stand. 
The virginal birth is foundational for the Christian faith. Let me lay out what it actually means. The virgin birth prepared the world for the perfect fulfillment of prophecy. The perfect fulfillment. Almost, almost 800 years before Jesus was born, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah stood before King Ahaz and he said these words. He said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and she will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. It meant God was coming here, that God was drawing near to here, that the arrival of Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the promise that God was going to leave heaven and come to this broken planet looking for you and me. The perfect fulfillment of prophecy. Secondly, the virgin birth prepared the way for the perfect Savior. Jesus came as fully God and fully man so that he could fulfill a divine purpose. Matthew 121 says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That is the perfect Christmas gift to sinners because sinners need saviors. It's what I need. That perfect gift that was offered on the first Christmas was announced by angels to a group of unsuspecting shepherds. We're going to talk about them next week. When they said, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and He is Christ the Lord. Imperfect sinners need perfect saviors. Any other child in all of human history was born with a sin nature, with the exception of Jesus, because He came put together in perfection. Is part of God's amazing plan. Not only God the Son, but the Son of God together. Perfect in His humanity and His deity. Thirdly, not only the perfect Savior, but the perfect sacrifice. Jesus came as fully God and fully human for a divine purpose, and then He lived a sinless life, encountered everything that we encounter on a daily basis, and yet was without sin and he came without sin so that he could purchase salvation as the perfect sacrifice. First John chapter 4 says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He came here with a purpose to lay down his life for each one of us, to take our place, to pay a debt of sin that none of us could pay on our own. My friends, every time you see a Christmas scene, whether it has an atheist sign next to it or not, every time you see a manger, you have to also see the shadow of a cross. Because that's why He came. The story of our perfect sacrifice does not begin solely at the manger. It began before time began. God's eternal. And then it stopped for a moment in a manger in Bethlehem when God did the unthinkable to send His Son in a humble way. But that's not even the beginning of the story and it's certainly not the end of the story. Jesus doesn't stay in the manger as this lowly baby, meek and mild, that just needs somebody to change its diaper. No, Jesus lived a sinful life and then was placed on a cross and bled and died for each one of us. But that's not the end of the story either. That's the middle of the story. The next part of the story comes when three days later, after being declared dead, he rose triumphantly, physically, bodily, and was raised from the dead. And, 
And here's the amazing part. The story's still not done today. Not only was God with us as Emmanuel, God's still here, my friends. God's still here. That's what makes Christmas so incredible. Not only was he the perfect sacrifice, but the virgin birth prepared the way for the perfect victory. The perfect victory. You see, all the way back in Genesis, there's been a conflict brewing. A conflict between God himself and the enemy of our souls who still lives and thrives today and who would love nothing more than to steal your Christmas by planting seeds of doubt in your mind. There's been a conflict brewing. It goes back as far as Genesis chapter 3 when God is speaking to the snake. He's got him by the throat and this is what he says to him. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. See, God knew what was going to happen. God knew that Satan would, would bruise the heel of Jesus at the crucifixion because it was a brutal, disgusting death the creator being crucified by the created. But he also knew something else. He knew that you might get an opportunity to bruise the heel of my son, but before this story is done, in a moment of perfect victory, my son as the perfect savior of the world is gonna crush your head and then you're done. You're done. So I want us to understand this. Here are the greatest words that I can offer to you this Christmas. The victory has already been won. Jesus, the spotless lamb, has already paid the price. The debt of your sin has been paid. Salvation has come to the earth. Death has lost its victory. Death has lost its sting. Merry Christmas, Christ the King. That's what we know. You know, you may have noticed the number of times I used the word perfect. I did that on purpose for those of you who've spent your whole life trying to create the perfect Christmas and in doing so have been driving your family nuts for years. To those of you who always are trying to achieve perfection and are deeply disappointed when it doesn't happen, I'd like to let you off the hook with something. There's only ever been one perfect Christmas. And it took the God of miracles, the God of heaven whom we love and serve to put that together. So why not let yourself off the hook this year and instead of trying to create perfection, leave that in the hands of Almighty God and allow your expectations to ride on Him and Him alone. You see, here's what set Mary apart. Mary set her expectations in God and God alone. In fact, an unusual thing happens. Mary has her encounter with the angel and then she writes a song. Most of us won't understand that. If you're a musician, you get it. When something crazy happens to you, you just write a song. That's your deal. And here's the lyrics to Mary's song from Scripture. It says, and Mary said, my soul praises the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Do you see that last little phrase? He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. We're supposedly in an economic downturn and recession. For many in this room, Christmas is going to be a little bit tighter this year than other years. But I have a question. Do you think that somehow that's slipped by God Almighty Himself? Do you think that what's happened in our country in the last couple of months just somehow snuck up on God and surprised Him? 
Do you think God sat on His throne in heaven and said, wow, I did not see that coming? And if He was mindful of the estate of Mary, whom He came to and said, you are deeply favored, do you think for one second that He's unaware of your circumstance this Christmas? I don't think so. Here's what's amazing about Mary. She focuses on God changing her, not her circumstances or anybody else. This is where Christmas expectations get us in all kinds of trouble because we want God to change that person so we can be happy at Christmas. God, you need to fix Uncle Bruce and then I'll be happy. God, if you just take care of my mother-in-law, then I'll be happy. God, if you could just fix these kids, oh man, then I'll be happy. We want God to fix everybody else except us. We want God to fix our circumstances. Here, God, this is what I need for a happy Christmas. I need about two grand dropped in my lap right now. That'll make me happy because money fixes everything. Just a two grand bonus from heaven. That's all I'm looking for. We're looking for God to change our circumstances. God, I just need that house or that iPod or that because that's going to make me happy. We just try to bargain with God. God, if the Seahawks could just win one more this year. Is three and 13 too much to ask, seriously? Because if they could just win one more game, then my family will not have to deal with a disgruntled NFL football fan and everything will be fine in my house on December the 25th. Come on, right? What if God didn't want to change everybody else or your circumstances? What if He just wanted to change you this year? What if He wanted to transform your heart, your outlook, your perspective, and your value system? What if God just wanted to work on your case for the next 17 or 18 days? You know, as a church this Christmas, we're expecting to encounter the living God. We're expecting Him to see, or expecting to see Him move and touch and heal and forgive. We know very well that He knows all about our humble estate this year. We're expecting to see the miracle of transformation. God has been transforming hearts all fall long. I see absolutely no indicators that He's going to change His tact at this point. I think He wants to do more. I don't know about you, but I'm, when I'm expecting something of God, what I'm normally expecting is something tangibly different in my heart. My question for you this year, Christ the King, is this. Are you preparing your heart to be changed? Or are you just going to roll through Christmas like you always have and maybe always will because you're just watching from the sidelines instead of entering into what Christmas really is, which is a face-to-face -face encounter with the living, perfect God Himself. About 15 years ago, one day at our little tiny house in Steinbeck, Manitoba, my wife handed me a little piece of plastic. I looked at the piece of plastic and that's a piece of plastic. What's this? She goes, we're expecting. A little piece of plastic with two little pink lines. I'm like, would you look at that? And because I'm a guy, in my brain, I'm thinking, expecting what, right? <laughs> Not too bright. <laughs> We're expecting a baby. 
<laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> no, really. We're expecting a baby. And about, oh, seven and a half months later, Braden Cole Fishbook was placed into my hands. Last week, he just about looks me right in the eye. We were wrestling and he put me on my back for the first time. He also happens to be a member of the state champion, Linden Lions. They won their state title yesterday. That's pretty cool. Awesome. I saw David Gaylord. He's another Linden Lion floating around here too. Congratulations, guys. But all of a sudden, our whole world changes because we're expecting. A couple of years later, my wife hands me another piece of plastic. This time I'm ready for her, right? I'm like, That's a baby, right? Two more lines. And about seven and a half months later, a little tiny girl was placed into my hands. And in that moment, she wrapped her daddy around her little finger, and he's still there. She's becoming a young woman, beautiful, refined, smart. In that moment, our whole world changed. We started preparing because we were expecting. We devoted a room in our house for that little bundle. We tried to make it perfect. Bought a crib, change table. Started stockpiling diapers and food. We were getting ready for a baby to arrive and God has blessed us with two of them. And we're still blessed to this day. Sitting right over here. Christ the King, just like Mary, we're expecting this Christmas. We're expecting to have a face-to-face encounter with Almighty God Himself. My question is this, are you ready? Are you ready to have that experience? Are you just going to observe one more year and let it slide on by and try and gather up with everybody else? in the month of January and slap it all back together again. We have an opportunity this year to do it different. And it will be different if all we are expecting at Christmas is God and God alone. Would you pray with me this morning as we close? God, I thank you for the miracle of life. God, I thank you for uh, the life of Mary who was blessed and touched by you. I thank you for her, her humanity. God, I thank you that she placed her expectations in you and you alone. And God, we look at her example and we ask that you would do a miracle in our hearts, that we would expect God and God alone. God, you have been transforming hearts this whole year, and we are so bold as to ask that you would continue the transformation of hearts, but God, we would ask more than any that you would change ours, our perspective, our life, our hope. God, we thank you for the miracle of the virgin birth. We thank you for the miracles that are still happening in our world today as you continue to lead people towards a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for Emmanuel, 
God with us. Lord, that is present tense. We thank you for the presence of Almighty God. And as he takes us by the hand and walks us through the preparation of Christmas, we ask that our expectations would be in you and you alone. And we pray these things in the life-changing, life-transforming and miracle-working name of Jesus. And the people of God agreed together and said, Amen. Amen.